You're listening to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrilow, and we have got a great roundtable lined up for you today. This podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, spirituality, social impact, and the business of change. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Each episode, we'll be diving deeply into a variety of topics that keep you inspired and at your best. Sometimes we'll be interviewing thought leaders, and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. And that's what we're up to today. We have gathered together some incredible change makers to talk about what the world needs now, the challenges and opportunities that are present for us right now as the world responds to the coronavirus. But before I introduce today's guests, I have one request. Would you please go to iTunes or whatever app you're listening to, subscribe and leave a rating and review. It's so helpful to us. It enables the algorithms to find us, helps people find our community, and it helps our guests to get their messages out to more people. It's just a small thing that would mean so much to us. So thank you for that. Now we actually have three guests with us in Roundtable today. Beverly Wright is the founder and CEO of the Wright Choice Group, leadership and business coach, keynote speaker and talent strategist. She's also the chair of the Dallas Dinner Table, an independent nonprofit that hosts annual events focused on improving race and cultural relations. In 2018, Beverly was one of only six inductees chosen by the International Coach Federation for their inaugural circle of distinction. So welcome, Beverly. Bev, you're on mute. Can I just ask you to unmute? <laughs> thank you very much. It's such an honor to be here and uh, to be with your audience today. Yes, thank you, Bev. So pleased that you're with us. And we also have Katerina Kanalidu. Katerina is a leadership coach with over 20 years experience working with teams and individuals. And in 2009, she founded Six Steps Ahead with the mission to provide her clients cutting edge coaching and training services. She works with leaders and teams around the world, creating healthy and high performing workplaces and positive sustainable change, even in the most adverse environments. So welcome, Katerina. Thank you very much. I'm really excited and honored to be uh, here today. So thank you for the invitation. Oh, Katerina, we're thrilled to have you with us, really. And now we have Michael. Um, Michael is a quantum shift facilitator trainer, energy practitioner, and social entrepreneur whose primary purpose in life is to help trigger the quantum shift in individual and collective consciousness. After recognizing that the world is becoming increasingly unbalanced and polarized in many key areas of life, he became committed to teaching practical solutions for restoring harmony and equilibrium. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Jane. Absolutely delighted to be with you all. Oh, and so honored to have you in this conversation with us today, Michael. Thank you. Okay, guys, so let me open the conversation today and let me do that by opening it to all of you with the topic of our roundtable, which is just simply what the world needs now. 
So what emerges for you when you hear that question? Well, I think the, um, it's really short. I tried to keep it um, to something succinct. For me, it's empathetic connection. Mm. I think we really need to be aware of how others might be feeling and how we can connect to them, especially as we self-quarantine or uh, do all the other things that they're asking us to do is that connection is even more important than it was before. Mm. That's really interesting because I think, you know, in many ways you could look at this time and this space now and say, this could be seen as the era of disconnection in a way. But, you know, here we are saying it's probably more important than ever, you know, and I think there's really some virtue in that. Uh, I do. When I hear this question, the immediate answer that comes to my mind would be, who am I to know uh, what the world <laughs> needs now? But on the other hand, it's maybe it's, it's exactly that, to ask uh, the human species, who am I? To let go of, of the arrogance who created all the systems that had such impact on, on other humans, on the planet, uh, on other, other species. Um, so maybe it's to reconsider everything about how we have structured our entire life. I love that, Katerina. You know, I really do, because that's not something I thought about. I never really thought about, like, who am I? I've always thought, and probably if those of you who are listening know me, I generally have an opinion. <laughs> so um, that is such a valid question, like, who am I? to really know what the world needs now. And maybe it is for us to listen, like you say. Mm. Michael, how about you? Um, well, I agree with Beverly, it's about connection. Mm -hmm. And um, but wh where I'm coming from is that, um, see, I see this as possibly a critical turning point in mm -hmm. humanity. I mean, a major turning point. And my view is, is that um, 2020, 2021, if we don't, um, learn from this lesson and wake up and and have a huge shift in how we are in a shift um it's going to be very problematic for us and at the moment what i'm seeing is that we're we're connect a lot of people are connected to their fear and they're rushing to the supermarkets and they're buying whatever they can it's every man for himself and that kind of is kind of how we are in this separation consciousness world that we live in and that's what has created the problem in the first place. Maybe not the coronavirus, but certainly the, you know, the warming. And um, that's what we need to address at the moment. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And I, you know, I, I really agree with you. And I'm really interested because you talk there about a lesson of our times. I'd love you to speak to that a little bit. Like, what do you think the lesson is for us now? Are you, is this, are you addressing this question to me? I am, yeah. Um, well, what I see as a lesson is, is our increasing, increasingly becoming disconnected and separate. Mm. So it's that separation consciousness. And, um, it, you know, we, we've, we've got uh, technology now and we've got Facebook and we've got all these things. We think, you know, we're right here at the moment and we're very connected. So in one sense, we're more connected than we've ever been. But what I mean by connection is our connection, our rootedness to the earth and our connection 
connection with heaven. It's mm. that be standing there between heaven and earth like a tree. It's rooted in and it's connected below and above. And, um, and it's connected with its roots to the other trees with their roots. And they're all interconnected, you know, so there's that very deep interconnection. And somehow humanity has lost that. And we've kind of lost our way. And if we don't reconnect again, um, it could be pretty drastic for us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Beverly, what's your sense of that? Because, um, you know, in some ways I can hear a lot that I think there's a lot of listeners will agree with what Michael's saying. But I just wonder, because one of the things that came up for me as you were talking there, Michael, was I was talking to a, um, a client this morning in Denmark they have got food on their shelves. They're, the government is all singing from the same hymn sheet. They're very coordinated in their efforts. There's a social net that's catching everybody and they're all kind of coming together, even though they're apart. You know, and it's kind of interesting how I'm noticing different countries responding in different ways. Um, so it's not the same all over the world, but I think it is predominant in the West, what you're speaking to. And I just wondered, Beverly, you're here in the US. So like, what's your experience of these times? Well, it's interesting you'd ask me that question because, uh, I have been giving that some thought and, and my thought is that just because you're okay today doesn't necessarily mean you'll be okay tomorrow, that we are in a right. global world. Uh, and what I've noticed when I talk about connection is that, uh, you know, if you even take what's going on now with the, the pandemic, with the coronavirus, when it was in a different part of the world, uh, Americans and perhaps others didn't pay it a lot of attention. But I've been saying for years now that we're all part, we're all in one big boat. Yeah. And if my part of the boat is taking on water today, and you're not trying to help me bail water out, eventually your part's going to be underwater too. <laughs> and so it kind of behooves you to pay attention earlier when the first hole in the boat appears, even if it's on another end of the boat. And so I um, like that analogy because I think that's what's happening now is that we tend not to pay attention unless it's directly affecting us until it affects us. Mm. Uh, and it usually will. Yeah. And that's very aligned to the separation consciousness that Michael's talking about there. So I love that metaphor. It makes perfect sense. It really does. So what's bubbling in Greece, Katerina? I mean, what's it like there right now? I think it's similar with other countries also, although each culture has specifics uh, based on specific structures and, 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 and systems. Um, I tweeted earlier today, I was so pissed off with my crown or something to say, let's not make it political, but it was, no, actually, you know, um, that um, the, this situation has exposed broken systems. Yeah. It has exposed the impact of policies that do not work. It has exposed the lack of solidarity. And we, we I hear words like connected, but then it's what kind of connections? Because people, have always been connected. Now they can be connected in caste, they can be connected in lobbies, they can be connected in many ways. Um, and all, we are all in this boat. It's not just us, you know, we are part of, of, of everything. Mm -hmm. And if I go back, <laughs> I mentioned the arrogance, um, it, it would be about 
the arrogance of the human species. We are supposed to be the more uh, evolved species, the one with the intelligence. So why we haven't used it to the benefit of, of everything? Mm. Yeah. So maybe the world, what the world needs from us, ours, uh, from us now is to create better systems that work for all, for everyone and everything. And as coaches, we can put our, you know, <laughs> little <laughs> piece here, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And isn't that aligned to what you're speaking of, Michael? When you talk of like a, a like a, a rising consciousness and, and the rootedness and the heaven, this connection between, it really is asking us, I feel, or inviting us into this, this different frequency, this different level of consciousness, which is where we kind of, one of the ways I think about it is, you know, the lower levels of frequency, and you might disagree, Michael, I don't know, uh, is where, you know, we think of I, we're very much around I, me, mine. But as we get to the higher levels, then we, we kind of have a more expansive view and, and we can start to think about the we, the collective, the global citizen and kind of boundaries and borders kind of fall away at that stage. I don't know. What's your view, Michael? <laughs> well, well, okay. Well, what I found in life is um, I started off like um, being mainly in my head. I went to Cambridge okay. and I did philosophy and um, <laughs> I thought I knew everything. And, but actually, I knew nothing, right? And um, and then I had a crisis in my life about the age thirty-seven, and um, I started doing a martial art, Aikido. It's a Japanese martial art, and what that taught me was that there's a difference between being in separation consciousness, which is the normal way that everybody's in, and unified consciousness. So, the the idea is that if you get attacked and you stay in separation consciousness, you then it's the survival of you know whoever's the strongest is going to win. And when you're in unified consciousness, you can then, you're, you're rooted to heaven and earth and you can harmonize with the attacker and you can flow with the attack and you can, you can, you can, you can sort it out harmoniously. Okay. So that's what I was doing for years and years and years, teaching and practicing and all that sort of thing. And, and then I discovered the Hawkins scale of consciousness, which mm -hmm. is a scale of one to a thousand. And I realized I'd got from somewhere around 200 when I was still running businesses and things um, to 500, which is a level of love. And I thought, oh my God, this is fantastic. I'm doing brilliant. <laughs> and, um, and then I realized, you know, I got to there, but you know, I'd go and do Aikido for two hours and I'd be all connected and unified consciousness, etc. And I'd step off from that, I'd go home and my wife would say something. She'd chuck me a hot coal and I'd get triggered. Okay, and I thought, well, how the hell is that happening? Why, is it, why am I being triggered when I've been harmonious for two, the last two hours? And then I realized that it's okay, it's all very well to get connected. Um, and you can do that, not just Aikido, but you can do meditation and yoga and Tai Chi and Qigong and all these things. Um, but what about all these, these inner blocks that one's sitting on? And then I realized, um, so, and, and all these practices are supposed to take years. Okay, they take a lifetime, but still you don't get clear. And, and what opened my eyes is when I found that my teacher has been doing it for 45 years, I've been doing it for 35 years, um, when I did a test on him, whether his heart chakra was open or not, whether he cleared his heart chakra after 45 years of doing this practice, it was blocked. And he got so angry with me because he couldn't believe that that could be possible. Okay, 
And then I discovered that people who teach yoga and people who teach meditation, all these guys, they're still blocked. They haven't got rid of it. They've learned how to be connected. They can sit there and they can meditate and do all that sort of thing. They're still holding the original blocks that they got when they were three years old, four years old, five years old, whatever. Okay. And so what I then realized when I became a grandfather is I realized that my, my grandchildren, when they were born, you guys maybe have had children, is they're not breathing like me here up in my chest at the moment. They're breathing into their lower bellies. Mm. Okay. My dog is breathing into her lower belly. My, you know, the baby is breathing into its lower belly. It's the natural way that human beings are, how we're born. Okay. And then I realized by the time we get to about two years old, we start learning how to think and speak, etc. We get into our heads. Okay. We get separate. Our heads and our bodies get separate. We're no longer connected. We're like our parents. We're like everybody else. We're disconnected. And then what happens? We get some kind of wounding, some pain. You know, your dad says you're useless or he runs off, he does that, whatever it is happens in your life and you get the pain and then instead of feeling the pain and processing and letting it go you then suppress it and you hold it in there and that forms our core wound which we all have okay so pretty well everybody in humanity has that core wound and that's normal but now that creates separation okay and if we're going to fix these problems we can we're going to actually be connected as everybody says we've got to be connected Mm. And we can't get connected unless we heal that wound. So that's what the issue is from my perspective. Mm. So I also heard you speak there to something that I think goes hand in hand with connection. You were talking about opening the heart chakra. You talked about love. So is that the answer? Is it about opening to love? Is it about more love in the world? Is, is that what we need? <laughs> well, Simply speaking, yeah, it could be going from fear to love. Right. But when we're disconnected, we're primarily driven by fear. Mm. Okay, so that's the underlying thing. So you can see all these people going to the supermarket now, and you know, the shelves are all empty. Right. And that's fear. They're all driven by fear. Okay. Yeah. And when I started looking at it, and I look on the Hawking scale, and I find that 99% of humanity are below the level of love. The level of love is 500 on this scale of 1,000. And, and most people are below that level. It took me most of my life to get to 500, the level of love and hard work. Okay. And then 1% are above. So this is where it gets really difficult because what I'm saying now is if we don't shift from that below 500, that being driven by fear to above 500, the level of love and come together unified and deal with this problem unified together collectively. Okay, there's no way that we're going to solve the problem. It's too big. Mm. Mm. Beverly and Katerina, what do you think about what Michael's sharing? Well, I certainly agree with, um, with the premise. Um, I was thinking back to when we first started talking about connection, and, uh, and then the question became, what kind of connection? And so for me, when I think about uh, the type of connection that I often uh, reflect on, there are two types. So I call it the head type, H-E-A-D, and the heart type, H-E-A-R-T. And, and I think we need both, right? So when uh, Katerina talked about the broken systems, to me, that's head work, 
right? So we need to figure out how do things, how do we operationalize love and connection and all these things that are kind of concepts that are not, you know, more abstract, at least for most people. Uh, but then the heart part, H-E-A-R-T, is we just need to be human, you know, and remember that that's what connects us is that we're all human, which means we're imperfect and that's okay. But if we come from a place of just wanting to really understand, help, support, encourage the other humans, I think that puts us on the right path, is that that's how we learn to uh, get out of that uh, first level listening where it's just, I'm listening to you, waiting on you to be quiet so I can tell you what I think, to I'm listening to you and really, really trying to understand how you're trying to connect to me and what we have in common, what brings us together, because we're missing unity. Uh, and that's a really dangerous thing when we all are so separate and so invested in our own perspectives that we shield everything else out. Nothing else gets through because we're not, we're not really listening. We're not connecting at that heart level. And I think that's when we're in dangerous territory. Mm. And I just want to ask you something about what you just said, because you're talking about head and heart. And when you were speaking about the head, I was thinking, well, if we're just in the head without the heart, isn't that how we got here? <laughs> Do you see what I mean? And yeah, so I was, like, <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. I want to go through the heart to the yeah, head. We, maybe. We, have, we have to have both because yeah. there is a, um, you know, certainly the, these concepts around connection and love, and they may mean different things to different people, but at some point we have to operationalize it. How do we yes. set up systems? How do we make sure that everyone has at least the basics of what they need? Mm. Um, all of those things have to work together so that people actually can see the positive impact of loving and connecting. Because otherwise, then it's just an empty platitude. Right, right. I think that's the danger here when we start talking about consciousness is for a lot of people, that's not something they can grasp. They don't, they, okay, well, I might want to like increase my consciousness, but like how, like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means for a lot of people. So I really get that and making sure that it doesn't stay because I don't know, you know, Michael, that people have got, well, most people don't have the time you've committed to like your practice there of Aikido and learning everything you've learned. It's like, how does the ordinary person access that? Like, what does that look like to say, okay, I know I want to do this, but what does that mean? What do I do? And so quickly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. So people don't realize where, where, where they're at. Well, I didn't realize. Okay. And we're talking about the heart. Mm -hmm. And I work with, I'm, a, I'm an energy practitioner. So I, I, I do this all the time. And just about everybody that I work with, um, when we get to the heart, it's blocked. The heart is blocked. Okay. I go through all the chakras. Usually the crown and the third eye, they're open, right? Maybe, maybe the throat chakra is open. You get to the heart. Okay, so this is a civilized day. We talk about the heart, we talk about love, and all that sort of thing. Block. You can't. You can, when your heart is blocked and it's not open, you can't. You, you can't love. It's difficult. Then I find I've got another prep thing where I test them. Are they totally open to giving love? Right. And usually they test strong on that. They're totally open to giving love. That's easy, right? Are they totally open to receiving love? No. Right. 
So they're blocked to one. It's like yin and yang. You know, the yin is okay, but the yang isn't working. Okay. What, you know, you've got to be able to give love and receive love and it's all going to be open. But, you know, you're, you're, you're blocked in receiving love, then you're afraid. Somehow you're fearful you're going to get hurt. Okay. And now somebody's trying to love you. It's jolly difficult. And most people are like that. Everybody that I work with blocked in the heart. It's really interesting because what you're speaking to there um, is this energetic exchange, which for me, when you said yin and yang, which for me is really about the wholeness, either of an individual or of a system, like the integration of that and, and becoming aware of how the energy flows, how it's received and how it comes out, I think is so very important. And our ability to kind of ignore that, I think is also one of the contributing factors that's got us into this space because we've taken a lot from the earth. We're not giving a lot back, you know, and it's these extractive practices in leadership and business that I think have got us where we are today. So how do we get more generative? How do we get that energetic exchange back into the systems and the practices and the way that we live our lives? Katerina, you look like you're going to say something. Yes, because I think we take for granted that what comes from the heart is good. So we take for granted that everything from the heart is good. And we don't acknowledge that there are differences between hearts. And that everything that comes from the head, you know, it's, it's maybe, for example, when Beverly said all the systems come from the head. Actually, no. If the systems came really from the head, where the logic and the reason is, they would make sense. Mm. they will take care of everybody. And I cannot separate these two, um, you know, my, my heart and my head, uh, because, you know, what, and, and I connect that with, with logic, with reason. Mm. And something that is not aligned with law, for example, it doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable. It's not logical. It's mm. not sustainable. Mm. And... I was um, reflecting when Michael talked about <laughs> blockages in the, in the chakra and I said, well, it makes sense. Broken people make broken systems. Right. And when I joked about, you know, we don't have time, is okay, we are forced to make a pause now. Mm -hmm. And actually this is good for the environment. You saw the air in China is cleaner. Yeah. Uh, the, the waters in Venice are clear, dolphins right. are back. Right. And uh, yeah, so we are forced to pause the supposed growth that we had, everything that was also damaging the environment for any, for, you know, different ways. And, and okay, how much time do we have and what opportunities do we have while we are at the same time managing a crisis, mm -hmm. making sure we stay safe, and at the same time, support everyone who needs to be supported in so many different levels and ways. Yeah. Yeah. Great questions. And so it leads me to ask, because you're really starting to take us there, Katerina, which is, you know, during this time, this, this pause, this global pause that we've got in the world right now, like, where do we focus our attention? You know, what is our roles and responsibilities at this time? As coaches or as human beings? <laughs> we don't separate one. <laughs> Are they different? <laughs> no. My, I will tell you my question is always, 
what is it that I can do? My question right. is always, what is it that I can do? And as a coach, is what is it that I can do as, as, a, as a coach? And um, we have go, gone through a, a family also, a, adventure and, and nightmare. And it is, first of all, as coaches, we have a unique uh, skills mm -hmm. that we can take advantage our ability to manage ourselves, our ability to have different perspectives, accountability, to see bigger pictures, um, to have these conversations. Um, and how is it to be resilient? And, and how, how we can, you know, uh, support with the skills, the others, from any perspective, from any point. Um, the frontline workers that need a lot of support and, and they want the resilience. The decision making makers, the policy makers, all those who need to take also brave decisions and actually act very, very fast. Mm. Um, the vulnerables, how we can support also communities to get more organized, but again, see, see all the pieces of the puzzle that are here and help the people to find the courage and, and, and that kind of connection that it is needed here. And also briefly do this transition because it's a change. What I believe is that when, when these, the, the first big wave passes, nothing will be say, the same as before. Mm. So how we can help the people realize that, okay, you know, this is it and how we now get better organized mm. to support them through the through these you know um waves that are coming and also to support them in the transition and and creating the new yeah yeah love that michael well, if we're talking about health workers, supporting health workers, um, a lot of health workers have caught the virus. Some of them have even died. Okay. And um, something that influenced me, I was working with a Chinese um, Qigong master and uh, or, or Chinese medicine um, master. And we're talking about in, in China, they had lots of pandemics, it's something that happened from time to time. And what happened is that the Taoist monks who had been practicing and meditating and all that sort of thing, they would then go out and they would help people. And what was surprising is that the Taoist monks didn't catch whatever it was that the other was dying for. Okay. So there was then a, the belief came, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but when you, when you actually cleared yourself, you've cleared your blocks and all that sort of thing, and you were at a relatively high level of consciousness, then you have an immune system, your immune system kicks in and you don't get the disease. Okay. So I was testing that. And um, I reckon if you are, if you're calibrating at 900 on the Hawkins scale above that, you are actually going to be immune to this coronavirus. Okay. I'm muscle testing, so you can take it with a pinch of salt. I'm not sure whether that works or not, but that, that kind of is, is possible. Okay. Now, all these people, the health workers, they're somewhere around 200 on the Hawkins scale. Okay, 
and they're having to put masks on and they're having to do this, etc. But it's not difficult to actually, if they were open to it, to help them actually to raise their consciousness to 900 and above. So that's kind of what, you know, I'm just throwing this into the thing. You might totally not disagree with me, but that is a possibility. Okay. And I kind of, I kind of actually believe that that's possible. So I reckon I test over 900 on the Hawking scale. So I actually believe that I'm immune to this coronavirus. Now, next time we meet, I might be dead. Okay. <laughs> but we will meet. <laughs> well, if we don't meet, we might meet in heaven. I don't know. Where are we going? <laughs> so can I just ask you about something there? Because there's an underlying assumption that I can hear that is um, if if you get your blocks cleared you can stay clear so how true is that Michael? okay right so what i found is you can take somebody through the process any of you through the process mm -hmm. and it's a two-hour process and at the end of the process you you're most likely you'll have cleared all your blocks and you'll have gone shooting up the hawking scale okay and the hawking scale actually goes from one to a thousand but what i find some people they go all the way to infinity infinite possibility wow. has been created okay okay so that's the easy bit in answering your question right but what's created those blocks in the first place is a lifetime of thought patterns how you think about it you know what your thinking patterns are and then every time you have some kind of resistance in your life some pain how do you how do you internalize that pain do you process it and let it go or do you suppress it right then you've got beliefs some of that subconscious beliefs um, and they can be incredibly toxic. Okay? I mean, I had a belief, I found, that uh, a fear of success. Here I'm trying to do the most difficult thing in my life, and I believe I've got a fear of success. Okay? And I'm sabotaging myself. There's no way I'm going to be successful as long as I've got that belief. And then the other thing is you've got people who've harmed you in your life, is those relationships and how, you, how, you, how you're handling that. And we've got all that. That's all the baggage that's got. And that relates to all these blockages that we've created. Now you've let go of the blocks, okay? But the patterns are still there. Mm. So I reckon it takes, if, you, if you're supported, it takes two to three months of day, day, moment by moment practice. But whenever you have the slightest resistance in your life, you just do the practice. It takes five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is, and you clear it, which means you can then embed, integrate, and sustain this high level of consciousness. Mm. Yeah, thank you for explaining that because that's certainly my experience is my energy is a it's a practice the cleansing clearing It's something that I notice when I get triggered again, and I can feel the resistance and so I'll, it's it's continual <laughs> It moment is by moment. Yeah, moment yeah, by moment. yeah, yeah, totally And so what me... I describe it as just what I just say is is learning how to transcend So right. you're not being stuck in separation consciousness. You're not being stuck in unified consciousness you're transcending both separation and unified consciousness moment by moment. Yes. Transcending and including moment by moment. Yes, and I'm totally with you there. That's something I call full spectrum resonance. Full <laughs> so spectrum resonance. Lovely. I love <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. 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 So I want to go to Beverly because you you haven't had a chance to talk about like where you're placing your attention, what you think is important during this time. So I know you started our conversation talking about like connection and unity, but I just would love you to speak to that, Beverly. 
Well, for me, connection is uh, really making time to intentionally connect. I think, you know, where we are in our lives, in most of our lives, whether it's people just trying to survive the day-to-day or people that perhaps have a lot of material things that really they give more attention than the people and uh, just because it's just habit. Mm -hmm. And so I've really been um, being more intentional, especially since this uh, crisis has come up, and trying to check in with people, you know, using Zoom, if there's someone that's in another country, another state. Uh, I've even had people say, instead of me sending text messages, I'll leave a voicemail on their voicemail where I hear their voice, they hear mine. And people have called back and said, it was lovely just to hear your voice, even though we missed each other, you know, talking live. And then we try to get together live. Um, And those may seem like little things, but the response I'm getting from people Uh, That's the part of social media that I like is that it allows me to stay connected in some way with people that I haven't worked with uh, for years. I mean, literally sometimes decades and, but I can reach them through social media and then I send them individual messages to say, Hey, like I did that just, uh, just today. It was someone I worked with probably 20 years ago that it popped up on LinkedIn and it was her birthday. I didn't realize she was born the same month that I was and we worked together for years. And it popped up that, that uh, to yesterday was her birthday. So I sent her a note yesterday and she responded right away. And I said, oh, I didn't know I had another March birthday buddy. And she said, how are you doing? And so all those 20 years seemed to melt away. And I talked to her a little bit in, uh, in, in LinkedIn about the memories I had of when we worked together. And so I'm trying to make more of an effort to do those little things. Uh, Someone else that worked at the company that uh, I worked in for 38 years, I got a call that she was retiring and they were having a party for her. I was going to be out of town. And so when I got to my hotel, I made a Zoom video that I emailed to the people that were putting the party on and said, would you share this with her? And I said, you know, I can't be there because I'm out of town, but I want you to make time now to just take a walk in the sand and let the sand go through your toes because now you'll be retired. You don't have to hold the building up anymore. Uh, You can just wake (laughs) up and, you know, take a walk a lot, you know, outside, get out in nature. And when they sent me a note back, they said, you know, it made us cry to see your video. I'm looking for those kind of connections. And that's what I'm trying to do. Um, And just ask people, what is it you're trying to accomplish that perhaps I can be supportive of? Um, and asking those questions. And, and that's, um, that's kind of what I'm trying to do to increase my impact and to be as positive and encouraging because I'm finding people need a lot, of encu- a lot more encouragement now mm-hmm. than yeah. perhaps they had. And they don't necessarily ask for it because the time has passed when we knew our neighbors, even the people next door to us, right? right? Uh, when I grew up, we knew everybody on the street, you know, and, and so they knew you by name, they knew your parents. Our neighborhoods aren't as much like that anymore. Even if people are close to us, you know, in close proximity, uh, we don't necessarily know each other that way. And so you ask people, how are you doing? How are you really doing? Right? So it's not that just uh, passing by thing and, and you say fine, right? When they say, how are you doing? You say, well, it, tell me a little more about that. And then it comes up that uh, I had a client today where I know personally she's going through some things where professionally she's doing great 
Right. And so at the end of our call today, I said, you know, uh, I really want to check in with you about the couple of conversations we had um, a while ago and how are you doing there? Because I see you doing great professionally, but tell me what's really going on with you. And she kind of dropped her head and she said, yeah, we need to talk about that some more. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do and, and just wanting to be of service. And I think the way you speak to that, I mean, it's so, it's just so beautiful because it's really like, you're really caring for people through this, like the re the reality, not just the professional side of what we do, but you know, the truth that people are living through and some of the struggles and challenges that are coming up right now. Well, and there's many that you mentioned that because I um, had a friend that passed last year who was a fellow coach and um, she had cancer and then uh, found out that it was, they thought they'd be able to treat it. And then she found out she was terminal and she dictated a note that was so instructive about how our death should be even a bigger gift than our life. And one of the things that she said that really stuck with me is that she was surprised how many people really cared for her. And that was such a huge surprise to me because she had said that to a few of us that when she was going through the uh, treatment, we would go pick her up because she couldn't drive anymore. And she used to take a lot of pride in her appearance. And she said, it was hard for me to see my hair gray and to walk with a cane. And she said, but I was so surprised that people didn't mind being seen with me when I looked frumpy. Or when, and that was so heavy for me to know that mm -hmm. she didn't know already that she had to become ill before she realized how many people cared for her. And so her last instructions to us that she had her husband send us after her death was, I don't want you to mourn for me. I want you to go out and do something positive, help somebody else, and just let people know how much they're cared for. Yeah. And you know, I can't help but extend your friend's words out into the situation we're in right now. Like, what if this that we're going through right now is really a gift? You know, if we can go beneath the surface of what's going on here, I'm sure there's a lot of learning here. I mean, I'm a coach. I'm going to say that, aren't I? That's what we say. We look for the learning and the positive reframe. But what if there's a calling, you know, uh, in Sacred Changemakers, we talk a lot about the spiritual aspects of life, those higher levels of consciousness that we've been talking about here. What if there's a calling for each of us here? I just wonder what that might be. Have you thought about that at all? Oh, yeah, I, well, I did just because of the, like I said, the note that the, when you really start to understand people's stories, and I think that's the reason that I have become that plus, you know, I do have a birthday this month. And so <laughs> I'm really, really aware of the passing of time. Right. And that, you know, what is it that I want my impact to be and how much more time do I have to make it? And mm -hmm. so it's given me a different perspective around not being uh, casual about the things that I do, to be a little more intentional um, and, and to really be specific in some of the things that I'm doing because I'm really, when I talk about leadership, for me, it's the next generation. And I do mentor a lot and uh, have a lot of, of young leaders that I've worked with. Uh, and it, I can just tell you that they're doing so well that it brings me to tears because I know 
that that's the, you know, I think I've told you before the, the quote that uh, Marion Wright mm -hmm. Edelman put in her book, Lanterns, about be a good ancestor. Right. Has been a real calling for me that I read years ago. And so that's always in the back of my head is that there's somebody coming behind us that may never know who we are in person, but what are we doing now that will affect those people coming behind us? Um, and so that has really been a guide for me. Yeah, the ancestors, definitely. And the generations yet to come. I'm sure there's callings in here for us to listen to about those things, really. Yeah, Michael, what's the calling for you of this time? Well, um, I work individually and I think I'm working collectively. So there's two sides of what I do. So the individual stuff, I do a lot of work with people with cancer. Okay, right. so come up, right? And what I find is that they're going through various stages. They, start off, but they don't know they got it, and they're kind of in denial. They, you know, there's something going on. They don't quite be ready, and then they come out of the denial because the doctor said you've got cancer, and, and then they go through maybe a stage of anger, and then they go through how, how am I going to deal with this? You know, so many different ways of dealing with it. Should I do conventional medicine? Should I do alternative medicine? Whatever it is, and then they they try a number of things, and then nothing seems to work, and, and then they get depressed. And they go through a stage of depression, and finally they get to a stage of acceptance. And the acceptance is very profound because they might now be stage four cancer. So I deal with quite a lot of people with stage four cancer. And, and at that point, they got to the point where, you know, I've got cancer at stage four and really accepting, I'm going to die. Okay. Um, I'm going to give up hope. There's no more hope. I'm going to surrender into the infinite and I'm going to grieve. Okay, and it sounds counterintuitive because most people, you know, I'm a warrior, I'm a cancer warrior, I'm fighting for this, etc. But when they get to that stage of acceptance, it's very, very profound. Okay, and some people they get to that stage of acceptance and then they become grief counselors and then they die. Okay, and I think, well, that's okay. You know, they got to that stage, they've accepted it, and, and they've passed on. And you know, when we talk about collectively, you know, we've got this coronavirus, now, you know, we might be at stage four. It's cancer term, for all we know, no one near to it. So then, right, it doesn't stop there. There's the next stage of acceptance is deep acceptance. And if they, if they get beyond that, if they let go of the grief, right, they stop grieving, they then go to that thing and they, they then discover love and they let go of all their fear and they're totally experiencing that love. And, uh, you know, the love for themselves, love for the cancer, love for everything, the world. Okay, and then that opens another door, which is radical acceptance, where they then get to the stage where actually they can heal. Okay, and at that point, they get to the point where their immune system can kick in and it heals the cancer. And the doctors all look at it and they say, Oh my god, how did that happen? Right, spontaneous remission that doesn't happen in our hospital, you never had it happens, etc. But when you actually go and research it, you find it happens quite a lot, but they've got to that stage. Okay. And that's kind of, in a sense, where we are at the moment. We've, we've kind of got to this, you know, this like coronavirus actually is a, is a pretty serious thing. It's almost like cancer. Okay. But we're all, we're fighting it like anything, going through that, you know, denial and whatever it is that we're fighting it with. And we haven't got to that acceptance. We've got to get to that acceptance and say, well, you know, a lot of us are going to die. That's the way it is. Okay. But we've all got to 
you know, ones that don't die, you're gonna get experience it, you're gonna get sick, you're gonna recover, it's gonna be okay. Okay, but we haven't got to that acceptance state. And the question is, we might get to acceptance and then climate change may kick in after that and we've had it, right? Or we might go to deep acceptance and we might get a radical acceptance and then we might heal. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So if I heard you right, we've got to feel helpless and hopeless before we get there. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. The first stage of acceptance, the first stage of acceptance, I have cancer. Okay. Right. I got stage four cancer. It's terminal. I'm going to die. I give up hope. Stop hoping all the time. I'm wasting my time hoping. I surrender into the infinite. I surrender into the arms of God, of Jesus, of Buddha, whoever it is, right? I've surrendered. I've let go of my little being. I'm in the, in the universe. And I'm grieving. I'm, you know, I've, it's the end of my life, and it's whatever it is. It's okay. Okay? And it's magic. And if I die then, it's okay. I've, got, I've, I've, you know, I've learned the lesson, and I've, I've let go. Okay? But the interesting thing is that if you, if you get beyond that, you let go of the grief, you transform the grief, you can then go to the next stage, you can actually heal it. And that's the irony of it. Hmm. Um, what's interesting, and I don't know if you know this about me, but I've been through that journey. I've faced death and looked it in the face and come out the other end. And as I'm listening to you, it all sounds very familiar. Every stage you talk about, I went through every single one. What's interesting now for me, I'm now, um, gosh, how many years out of this now? About 15, how old's Jacob? 18. So 18, well, 15 years from the terminal illness uh, kind of um, diagnosis. And um, I feel like I go through cycles of it with different aspects of life. It's interesting. I think I have the ability to stay in that radical acceptance place with some things and then i get pulled back into other spaces with other things and so i just wondered if there was a like i feel like it's a wheel i can go around <laughs> yeah it's interesting really interesting but um it has taken me to places where i never thought i would be it really has. And I love that you're making the analogy with the coronavirus because this idea of we for me, if I'm honest, scares me. I know I can trust me. I don't know if I can trust we. <laughs> That's my truth. So. I, I was reflecting on Michael's in the individual scale to the collective scale yeah. and also the circles that you were saying. And, um, and, and I felt, I feel that um, I have, it, it's I'm living with borrowed time, you know, mm. uh, because I, you know, I should have time years ago and I didn't. So I have all these borrowed time. So what do I do with that? Yeah. And on the other, on one hand is the acceptance that I'm okay with whatever happens for me, not for others, not for my, for others. And then is, um, okay, so I have to use this intentionally to do good, to create something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's definitely where I am. However, 
for me, I can sometimes feel frustrated and angry that I haven't got more time than I would naturally expect in this world. Um, sometimes in the we space, I can feel like there's so much I long for in this world that, you know, maybe things aren't moving fast enough for me, or I, I yearn for a different type of connection or unity or consciousness or whatever you want to describe it as. And so I can feel some of the shadow side of that too, like, oh, there's so much I want for the people in this world and this world and yet, you know, and so that's interesting for me because I can flip flop through different emotions. And here yeah. is another level of acceptance uh, is the acceptance of, you know, um, of, of, of this is it, you know, we, we mm. are doing and we are doing the best that we can do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, to take out our frustration and anger, we have Twitter for that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it is also to, to respect the, the boundaries. Um, we have this uh, program, the Coach Activism, where uh, it's the fifth year now, and we provide uh, coaching for, uh, for, the, for the volunteers who work with refugees. Now the situation is getting really worse. But one thing that we had mandatory for, for all the coaches was not only additional training on boundaries management, but it was, it's also supervision, because I, I see myself challenged every time. Mm -hmm. uh, on yeah. this and and it's the same with the coaches because i believe that you know if not all the majority of the coaches come to this to do good yeah. and it's it's this concern that we should be doing more yeah. and that's actually a pattern of uh, of some of our clients that they have the same sense so we support them to keep their boundaries yeah. And keep the, that will help them be resilient and do the work sustainably. And at the same time, we have to practice that. Yeah, that's beautiful, Katerina. And I know you're doing some great work with refugees. And I just want to honor that because, you know, that is so valuable to so many people. I know. Okay, guys, I'm noticing the time here. So I just want to ask each of you, really, if there was something that you wanted us to get to in this conversation, something you want to share with the audience. You know, I'm just going to ask each of you to speak finally as we bring this to a close and just ask you, you know, what is it that you would like to say just to bring us to a close? And I'm going to allow each of you space to do that in whatever order you want to go. Well, um, I think for me that it's not accidental that the word choice is in the name of my company. That was very intentional for me because I think we all make choices, uh, whether we uh, back away from choices, choices, which is a choice, right? Not to make a choice. <laughs> so it's <laughs> a choice. And so um, what I really have focused on is people that have either chosen to be people-centered leader, leaders or they've ended up there. So it's kind of, did you choose leadership or did leadership choose you? And uh, what I'm hoping is that more and more people will make an intentional choice around whether they want to be the type of leaders that people want to follow, that mm. they are trustworthy, they have values, and that companies have the resources to do a lot more good in the world than they're doing if their leadership is people-centered. 
that we can cure a lot of the problems because they have the resources. Um, and I know because I worked in a company that had tons of resources. And that was part of the joy for me is that we had tools where we could make things different for people. So that's, that's the, the journey that I'm on is trying to support, encourage, coach, and help to create and sustain people-centered leadership that can make great uh, community partners and make profit at the same time. The two are not, uh, they don't exclude each other because I, I know it can work. And in fact, if you are a great community partner and use people well, it probably enhances your profit. Thank you, Bev. Michael, do you want to go or Katrina? Okay. Um, I mean, I, I, I really said already what I want to say. I mean, we are, from a consciousness perspective, when you measure it on the Hawkins scale, we're in a downward spiral at the moment. We're actually going down. Okay. And we've got to somehow, that's got to stop. And somehow we've got to actually go the other direction. And we've got to go basically from fear to love. And that's a massive leap. And the only way we can do that is when we recognize that we have to change ourselves first from the inside in order to be able to do all the things that we need to do on the outside. So that's, that's the most important thing. And that's a huge leap to realize that actually that, that needs to take place first. And if any, the only message I could get across is I've been doing this kind of work for 37 years. And it's only in the last few years that I realized that it does not take 37 years to actually do the work, right. right? You can actually do it in just a few months. So what used to take a lifetime can now be done in a few months. So that's actually the, you know, what's so exciting and so brilliant about this whole process. It does not take forever and it's dead easy. And I never used to dare to say anything like it's easy. You know, if you're doing a martial art, it's difficult. If you're doing yoga, right. it's difficult. Meditation is difficult. Okay. It takes forever. Okay, and you're a bloody idiot if you, don't, if you say it's any different. So this really is easy <laughs> if you actually want to do it. So that's kind of where I am at the moment and trying to persuade people. And I, I'm working with sort of Extinction Rebellion, for instance. Right. And they're all very angry. So they're, they're at that angry stage. Okay. Do they want to change themselves? Most of them not. Hardly anybody wants to change themselves. They want to change other people, but not themselves. Okay. <laughs> and that's where we are. And these are the guys who have woken up. The other 98.5% haven't woken up yet. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> don't despair. I think there's, there, is, there is a tiny glimmer of hope, so I think we'll get there in the end. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. I was thinking I was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so, I... I, I, what, I I think I um, um, Beverly mentioned the name of your company. I said I thought oh, I am on brand. I I love working with leaders and teams in the adverse environment. Now I'm you know it's the most adverse environment of all. And the six steps I had is because of my futuristic. Um, strength to to support always the others to be ahead. And now it's the time for the coaches that they should if I may say, start being comfortable, <laughs> learn to do that. Because many times I, I hear and, and we preach and we don't practice that. Right. So, you know, no. Um, 
start yourself being comfortable with the unknown, with the adversity, with the, you know, with, with the challenges, whatever it is, use your skills, support others uh, in, in this journey and start shifting the way of thinking, the consciousness, the way we connect everything and, and start creating systems that make sense. So what I do also is support the coaches who need now to learn how to work virtually. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have been working to, to 12 years uh, remotely and virtually, so I can, I can pass that. And, and um, also apply intentionally everything that you have for, for good. Uh, there are so many programs that support communities, that support coaches, that make an impact uh, socially. Uh, so find the cause and, and provide your gifts there. We cannot, we cannot do alone. We, are, we realize that we are not isolated. We are not in our bubble. I was really frustrated when I was hearing, you know, the famous, you know, be, be, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. No, no. Now you understand <laughs> why you should have wished differently. So now it's the time that we are forced to get out of our bubbles as coaches and do the work. Yeah, thank you. Guys, thank you all to each of you for giving us such great insights today. I hope we've inspired others to think about this topic from an expanded perspective. Um, and a grateful soul deep bow to all of you, really. Thank you. Thank you, Jane, for the opportunity. Thank you, Beverly and Michael. <laughs> it's been my pleasure. Thank you, guys. And if you're listening, I hope that you take away from this the thread that runs out from everything that our guests have shared today in the round table for me is the fact that you matter here. You matter. Your consciousness matters. Who you're being in the world, who you're becoming, what you're doing, it matters. Don't wait for somebody else to come along and, and save us, right? You matter. You're a piece of the jigsaw puzzle. You are interconnected with all of us. And so, who you're being really matters. So if anything, you know, just take this, this pause that we're having now globally and just self-reflect and think about how you want to respond to this time, this poignant time that we're going through, how you want to respond personally, professionally, how you can help and who you want to become as we go through this transition period. And what is the world that you want to shape for our future? because I think these are all really important questions that have been kind of weaving their way through the tapestry of our conversation today. So I hope you'll spend some time and just think about that. So that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I wanna to talk to you about something that is really important to know. Now, you can't change the world by yourself, so don't laugh because it's true. You've heard us all talking about it. But research tells us that the single biggest predictor of you reaching your goals in life is social support. You need a community of people who have got your back. And when you have this, you're way more likely to make the impact you want and achieve your goals. So I'd like to invite you to take a look at Changemaker Society. This is our global network of changemakers. It's one of the most extraordinary engaged groups of people who are committed to making the world a better place. Some of us work in the transformation industry, some of us don't, but our diversity is our strength. We support each other to grow personally and professionally, and together we are making a direct impact while reminding each other to practice good self-care along the way. 
So no single person can change the world, but by joining a community and being a good member, you get access to multiple perspectives. So please, whether it's sacred change makers or not, get yourself some social support during these times. And if it's not currently activated in your life, because it will make a real difference and it will make a real difference to the impact that you can make. And the members are actually our sponsors who help us keep doing our work in the world. So if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the world and the contribution that you bring to make our world a better place. Until next time, I just leave you with lots of love. Thanks, guys. See you soon.